right, we're jumping in with uh, Chip Oscarson and Phil Fernberg of the LDS Earth Stewardship Organization. Um, how are you two? Doing great. Doing great. Happy awesome. to be here. <laughs> yeah, I was mentioned to you before, like, I, I don't know, I think it was around uh, this past conference time, I saw a random tweet from your organization. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know this LDS Earth Stewardship was a thing or existed, and and I'm intrigued. So I went to your website and checked it out and uh, reached out, and you two uh, were willing to to sit down with me virtually and, and talk about your organization and, and uh, what it is and whatnot. But maybe let's first put you two in, into context. Uh, Chip, maybe you just tell us a little about yourself, uh, where you're from, what you do, all that good stuff. Yeah, I'm uh, from the Midwest originally, from uh, kind of born and raised in St. Louis, although our family moved around quite a bit uh, growing up. And uh, more recently, I've been um, here in Utah uh, teaching at uh, BYU. I teach literature and film here. Uh, right now, I'm also an administrator at BYU um, and uh, helping out with the general education uh, program. Uh, and uh, I've got I got involved with LDS or stewardship. Um, oh goodness, um, probably about seven eight years ago, uh, kind of the early days of the the organization. Um, just because I've I've been interested in things connected to the environment, um, you know, I'm a, someone who likes the outdoors and has um, been academically interested in you know in some of the interest uh, some of these issues as well. And it was great to find you know Latter Day Saints who uh, likewise uh, saw this as a as an important issue. And I think one of the things that that drew me to it was you know not just that I, I felt that there were um, you know important issues in my kind of neighborhood and you know kind of nationally and even globally that I felt needed to be dealt with, but I I had a sense that there was a, a kind of a spiritual dimension to them as well, and really appreciated some of the readings of. Um, uh, you know, articles that I had read by LDS scholars who were trying to articulate, you know, what's the, is there something special that Latter-day Saints have to contribute to this conversation? And I think that that's exactly what LDS or stewardship does as an organization is tries to, uh, to help us better understand, you know, the, the spiritual principles behind stewardship. And uh, so that's kind of how I got involved. That's cool. All right. And Phil, maybe put yourself into context and then uh, your connection to the organization. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am originally from Southern California, nondescript suburb outside of San Diego. <laughs> and um, I have been around a bit, led a couple of past lives as an entertainer and other things. So I've, I've lived kind of around the country in different parts of the world. But So what um, sort of entertainment did you do? I was a cruise ship entertainer. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. So I was uh, I was an assistant cruise director on, on ships. And uh, if you've ever seen the show Love Boat, I was the Julie. Um, I, uh, yeah. And, um, I, and I was with Disney for a bit too, and, and did, uh, you know, played in some touring indie rock bands and and stuff. It was fun. Oh, cool. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then I, um, kind of made my way back to academia and was, um, got turned on to landscape architecture and environmental planning that, um, really is that's what I've trained in and is now kind of the field that I'm in. I'm up at Utah State now. Um, I recent a couple of years ago moved from uh, the Bay Area here to pursue doctoral work and then I'm also teaching up here at Utah State in landscape architecture. And um, I kind of similar to Chip, I was really um, turned on to LDS or stewardship from coming into uh, a profession that at least in recent decades has felt that it's been a little more secular and that it's always um, 
sort of divorced from religion. And it's kind of odd because um, to me, I've always felt that it was, it was a part of who I was as a Latter-day Saint to also care for the earth um, because we have so much doctrinal base for it. Um, But I just never felt that it was culturally there, uh, at least in the times that I've been growing up and as uh, in my LDS circles. And so I actually originally heard of the organization through Chip because he was one of my mentors in my undergrad degree. Um, he was one of my Scandinavian studies teachers and mentors. Oh, cool. um, and I knew that he was involved, but I just didn't know much about it at then. And then, you know, years later after, pra- you know, being trained and practicing in uh, environmental sectors, I thought, you know, I should look into that again, especially when I got back to Utah and got reconnected to Chip. So I, um, I went to their fall forum and then very quickly after said, okay, I need to get involved. It's my time. And I did. And that was about a year and some change ago. And I was just recently, um, put into the board and now the board chair. And so that's, that's my involvement uh, with it. And I've just loved it, loved every minute of it. And, um, I very much resonate with what Chip said. I think that it's it's an organization that really helps us kind of bridge that gap between the spiritual underpinnings of stewardship to our culture and ways of practicing it and even you know our ways of serving in our communities as Latter-day Saints who have a, a unique and specific doctrine about the earth and our relationship to it. Yeah. So, um, Chip, maybe this is a... Uh, it, it sounds like both of you, you're not founding members of the board or, or anything, but uh, Chip, maybe just give us a, a brief history of this organization and how it started and, and whatnot. Well, it's, um, it's, it started by you know, a group of uh, you know, members of the you know, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who, who recognized a need. Um, and I don't remember the exact uh, date that it started. It was about 10 years ago. It was about a decade, a little over a decade, maybe. Um, that there, you know that there was a need that to um, to get this conversation going, and and a feeling that the conversation had in too many ways been hijacked by political concerns, and and had had you know been politicized. And you know if you look at the history of some of these issues, you know here in our in our country, um, you know there was a time when they were not politicized in the way that they are now. Uh, you know, things like, you know, the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act, you know, that these were passed back in the 70s with broad bipartisan support. And, you know, it's more recent years that for, you know, a whole host of reasons, I think that, you know, some of these issues, uh, you know, became to be seen that if you're worried about, you know, kind of care of the earth, you know, that that aligns you with one end or the other of the political spectrum. And I mean, something that you notice right away, um, I mean, one, if you're you know, a scholar of history and you, know, you kind of you know, recognize that this is a kind of recent thing, but if you travel abroad and speak with members of the church, you recognize this as well, that, that they don't have the same you know, kind of political lines. And I remember having a conversation with some members of the church in Sweden once, and we got into some of you know, these issues that you know, they knew I was interested in. And, um, and their comment was, yeah, that is kind of strange that we don't hear more about that at church. Cause for them, you know, this wasn't a, you know, liberal conservative, you know, you know, kind of, you know, kind of issue at all. And, and that was what I think the founding members of the organization recognize is that, that we need to have a way to talk about this, that sidesteps some of those, um, you know, those kind of political concerns, because what's at stake here, um, is, is a much larger, you know, spiritual, you know, principle. And, um, 
and you know we we need to get better information out about what is it that you know the scriptures say about these things. What does the church leaders have said about these? And so one of the the big projects, um, you know, initial projects of the organization was to pull together, you know, a kind of a library of you know of quotes and um, you know about what what we know about our relationship, you know, to the physical creation. Uh, and that still resides on our on our website. That's something we you know we keep updated as a resource for you know for people to consult. And um, I mean, just to kind of speak to this issue, one of my you know one of my favorite quotes that um, you know that's there comes from Ezra Taft Benson. You know, who of course is not known for his liberal <laughs> politics, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> but he was he was speaking to a graduate um, a graduating class at, at BYU Hawaii, and you know the gist of the quote is that you know. It's your it's your going to be your job to kind of go out into the world and to explain, you know, the challenges that that humans face in regards to their physical environments. And he says, but if you don't understand the spiritual, you know, kind of laws that these are predicated on, you're you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that that's, I think he's absolutely right about that, that there's this spiritual dimension to these questions. And as Phil was uh, alluding to earlier, if you look at the, you know, the, you know, kind of history of environmental discourse, especially in the last few decades here, uh, in the United States, it's tended to be fairly secular in a lot of ways. Um, it, it hasn't made a place for, um, for Christianity, uh, or, you know, for, um, you know, the LDS faith specifically at the table. And that's a real shame because we have an incredibly rich doctrine about, you know, the purpose of creation, that why God created the earth, what he expects of us as stewards of this creation, and the way that our care of the earth is intimately uh, related not only to our, you know, our love of God and our expressions of, of faith in him and in the atonement, um, but also with our care of our fellow men. Mm-hmm. And so th- this is kind of the, you know, the motivation and the people who have been, you know, members of this organization, uh, you know, we're kind of started here on the Wasatch Front. Um, you know, initially, that's where a lot of the members uh, have been or have connections here, but more recently have, have spread out. And now we have local organizations on, um, you know, in Europe and in Africa and in, um, and in Asia. So we're, you know, it's, it's very much uh, spreading and it's a, it is a message that, you know, that resonates. Yeah. Wow. And, um, you know, I know from, I've, from different, you know, environmentally focused groups or individuals, there's always been this, you know, this, uh, plea, I guess, um, I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, if this is such a, a big problem, like, why aren't we hearing about it in general conference? And then, uh, this past October, uh, 2022, Bishop Cosse stood up and, and his talks called our, our earthly stewardship. So what was the reaction from, from your group? I mean, were you expecting this? Were, I mean, what, what, what came, what, was there an excitement when you heard this discussed or maybe what, I mean, what comes to mind? Yes, there was sheer and utter <laughs> excitement uh, on our end. Um, I mean, it's, it's very helpful for us uh, who's, we're an organization with stewardship in our namesake. So <laughs> that's, that was something that was very, very surreal for us and also um, fulfilling of many members of, the, of LES or stewardship's years-long desires that they were hoping to see, which is that on the world stage of General Conference, we would have one of our leaders talking specifically and directly to the needs of Latter-day Saints to be engaged in our stewardship. It was wonderful. I mean, for me, it was, it was surreal to see that, but also it, it, it was 
something that I felt is just a return to order um, on the issue of, of the environment within the church. Because as Chip has already said, and, and we've mentioned several times, um, there's there's precedent for church leaders, including the founding members of the Restored Church. You know, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, these early prophets talked about these things often, uh, especially as the saints were relocating into a new territory, trying to get used to the landscapes and the ecologies of uh, of the Wasatch Front. Um, this is something that's not new, but it seems new. Um, so I like that we're back in, I hope that it sets a precedent for us having a norm of speaking about this over the pulpit, not yeah. only in conference, but in our local congregations. Yeah. Well, and there's been discussion of this. I mean, Phil you know, references this, but there, there's been a newsroom kind of section uh, on the church website for some time mm-hmm. uh, detailing what the, you know, the church's views, you know, of this, how they understand the doctrine. Uh, there was a wonderful uh, address given by Elder Marcus Nash at a symposium mm-hmm. um, at the U, an interfaith symposium up at the U uh, a few years ago that, um, you know, he was he was there as kind of a representative of the church to talk about the church's, you know, understanding and position, you know, on, you know, on questions relating to our responsibility uh, in regards to the environment. And and that kind of forms the basis of, you know, of what was there. So this is a, a wonderful compliment, uh, you know, to that. And, you know, it's uh, as an organization, we've, uh, we've had, uh, you know, people like Sister Eubank uh, come and address us and, um, you know, and we see that this is very much something that uh, concerns, um, you know, our, our leaders, uh, you know, from her perspective, you know, it's not only a question of, you know, caring for the environment, you know, for the sake of caring for a gift that God has given to us, but she very much sees the connection between this and the kinds of human humanitarian crises that, you know, that we're, that we're looking at. I mean, already, um, you know, we know that, you know, things like, you know, climate change and, you know, other issues are making natural disasters more severe. And this has an impact not only on members of the church, but of course, on on millions and millions worldwide. And one of the real concerns is that the people who are most affected by this are the most vulnerable among us. And, you know, and as, you know, as committed Christians, this should, you know, this should concern us. And, um, and we have this, we have an obligation and need to be reminded some, sometimes of the way that we're connected to each other. And that was something that Bishop Cosse also mentioned specifically in his talk as one of his principles, right? Or just after talking about the idea of earth stewardship being not just a political or scientific endeavor, but a spiritual mandate that we have, he then just after that, basically speaks almost along those same exact lines. And it makes sense because the the presiding bishoprics, one of their main directives is to care for the most vulnerable in the world. Mm. Um, and so these are, these are connected issues. And also kind of when you were saying that, Chip, it made me think about uh, the fact that there is a lot going on um, that should be better recognized within the church um, as as an organization, you know, I've I've talked with many people who are either um, facilities managers within the church, uh, landscape architects that work for them. Um, other we there's now a an official sustainability coordinator within the presiding bishopric's office. These are people who are working to um, help be better stewards of the environment over the actual um, holdings that the church has uh, at, and the stakes that we have in the year. So I. I think that there's work going on, but now it's it's about that pervasion into our kind of cultural airwaves. Um, that's really important. 
Yeah. And Chip, I think you referenced earlier, just the dynamic of politics when it comes to this topic, uh, for whatever reason, I mean, it can be so polarizing. Just, I mean, someone going to your, to your website and seeing earth stewardship is like, oh, a bunch of liberal progressives, you know, in the church, you know, like it's so easy to jump to those conclusions or, you know, assume that there's a hidden agenda here or a political agenda or whatnot. Like what, what, what is there to learn about just like, how can we approach this issue, both sides of the aisle, or no matter what your persuasion, without getting too political about it or just being repulsed by the the, the politics of it? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really great question. If you go to the website, you'll see that, you know, we are an adamantly, um, you know, apolitical, you know, organization. We have, you know, members, um, both membership as well as on our board from, you know, from kind of both sides of the, you know, the political aisle here in the, in the country and, and ones that stand outside of that, right. That, um, uh, as well. And for us, that's really important that, you know, that we uh, think about this as an issue that, um, well, let me put it this way. The, the environment is not a problem to be fixed, right? It's not, um, you know, the, there's not a specific issue that, well, we just need to fix this and it's kind of taken care of and then we can kind of move on to other sorts of, in, or other sorts of issues. It's a relationship and it's a responsibility, maybe better said, that, that God has given to us, right? And so learning how to to take care of that's an ongoing, you know, kind of question and, and circumstances change about what that's, what that's going to mean. What, what is not um, an option, it seems to me, is to ignore the question, mm. right? So in a, to put it in another context, how we care for the poor, um, there's a lot of different ways to go about doing that. And there's not one right way to do it. The only wrong thing is not to care for the poor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and likewise, uh, you know, for the environment, this is a gift that has been given, you know, to us uh, by our creator, and we have a responsibility to it. Uh, you know, we talk about this a lot in the church in terms of our bodies, right? That our bodies are a gift from God. And even though we believe that one day we're going to be resurrected and, you know, kind of made whole, you know, again, um, that doesn't mean that I can abuse it now, right? Mm-hmm. That it's, you know, part of my respecting my body is showing uh, gratitude and reverence you know, for the, you know, the creator. And, uh, and with the environment, it goes a step further insofar that my choices vis-a-vis the environment have, you know, impact others, you know, very directly. And, you know, again, how we go about, you know, fixing these problems and dealing with these issues, you know, that that's that those do get somewhat political, but the, the thing that we cannot do is not engage. And there's historically, um, uh, been you know too much apathy around these questions as if they're just going to go away, and I think you know here on the Wasatch Front where where we're speaking from, um, you know there's some really um, you know pressing issues you know beyond the larger sorts of issues of climate change which are you know which are serious and affecting you know our weather patterns and and exacerbating our drought no doubt um, you know we have things like the you know the Great Salt Lake which is mm-hmm. an environmental um, you know, bomb that is waiting to go off that's going to impact our families and the health of our families and the, the livability of this, you know, of these, you know, valleys. Uh, we have air quality issues that, um, you know, again, that they affect the most vulnerable, you know, among us, uh, that the people who, uh, who are already sick and have these, you know, uh, conditions are disproportionately affected by that. And I, I can't, I can't sit by and see someone else suffer, right? That as a, you know, as a Latter-day Saint, um, that's not an option for me. And I need to be educated on what it, on what it takes. 
how, you know, what policies I advocate to go forward to solve that. Well, that's, there's other fora for, you know, for us to discuss those kinds of things, but, but that we have to be discussing it, that we have to be engaged. That's, that's the imperative that we work on. Yeah. Phil, anything you'd add as far as the dynamic of politics and this, these uh, issues? I think Chip sums that up really well. And the, I'll give you some personal anecdotes. You know, I yep. just gave a talk a few weeks ago in, uh, in my award here in Logan. Um, I don't think we would call Logan a very left-leaning town um, <laughs> or Cache Valley a left-leaning place, right? Uh-huh. Um, and the topic I was given was love for your neighbor. What does loving your neighbor mean? And I got up and spoke uh, from my own perspective, and it made sense just because I was thinking about our upcoming board retreat that Earth Stewardship and especially the inspiration from Bishop Kosei's talk is an act of loving your neighbor because your neighbor, well, the earth is your neighbor for one, and all of the creations that are within the earth are all of our neighbors. Um, But also our human neighbors, we share the same watersheds. And I kind of, you know, I explain these things in, in my love for it. And not one person gets up and starts screaming, ah, you crazy liberal, you know, you get out of here. No, no. That's because, um, you know, pollution does not care whether you are a Democrat or a Republican. It goes for the body no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, Water (laughs) flows in the way it flows, not um, with no respect to your political party. And it doesn't matter what way you lean um, if we up in the Bear River Basin, um, don't use our resources prudently. It means the possibility of our neighbors down uh, down at the mouth, down in Great Salt Lake, uh, may be breathing in arsenic. And that's rough. Hmm. So I don't know if that's really anything that is too um, controversial to say, right? That we all have a responsibility to use our resources prudently. Um, and I... I I really like what Chip said earlier about us being a global church. Um, that's one of the ways that I think you can overcome the political divisiveness we have over the issue in the U.S. in particular is looking at the church as a global organization um, because we have people in all different countries that live in on all sides of the political spectrum. And when you go to some of those other places, um, it's not that they're perfect in their politics. Uh, they have their own problems. Every place has its own problems. But, you know, let's, we'll give an example. When you go over to Europe, I've been places like Sweden where and talk to saints there where uh, Chip mentioned earlier, but other parts of Europe where um, you have people that are both very liberal progressive and also very conservative. And um, But when you talk about the environment, they all say, we have different interpretations of how we want to approach that issue. Mm-hmm. Um but the baseline is that we care about it. <laughs> yeah. We're all working towards a common goal of making it better. And I think that's a big thing. And I, we, the one thing that people are always saying is that there's no silver bullet for how we can all solve these wicked problems like climate change or um, biodiversity loss around the world, of water and resources. But there, I think there, there actually is one silver bullet, and that's engagement. Yeah. If everybody is engaged, we can figure out how to live better and we can figure out how to address the problems. But at the same time, keeping 
an understanding that what Chip said earlier, the environment is not a problem to be solved. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's a, that's fascinating, especially you talk about just the, the different solutions that are out there. And, and me speaking is, you know, I'm, I'm a typical Utah, quite conservative Republican. Um, and to me, it's like, I don't necessarily have a problem like looking at these, these issues and considering solutions or things change. I guess it always comes down to like, it always, there's always this momentum or this pull of, well, it needs to be this big government solution. And if, if you're, you're not on board with this government solution, you're, you're sort of evil and you really don't care. And then I'm th sitting here thinking, wait a minute, like I, I'm willing to talk about this, but I just don't think pouring a bunch of money into the, this or that solution is maybe something we should consider, but I'm willing to sit down and talk with it. Anything come to mind as far as that dynamic that comes up with politics? I think that you, know, that you articulated you know, really well the problem. Right, that that we go right to um, the kinds of solutions that we've been hearing about the most because mm -hmm. there's been one end of the political spectrum that's owned this, and so their ideas are the ones that are out there, you know, kind of floating the most around. And 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 what we need, and I can't emphasize this, you know, enough, is that we need LDS perspectives at the table. And what I mean by that mm -hmm. is not that we need conservative perspectives, um, right. you know, necessarily, but but that we mm -hmm. need. Um, to see this as an issue that we come together on, not one that out of the gate separates and divides us, right? And, you know, th this is understanding, again, the, the kind of the spiritual principles on which these issues, you know, and solutions to these issues are made, right? If, if we see that, you know, kind of agree on certain issues, right, you know, that all creation is the Lord's, right? That we are stewards of this and that we have a responsibility uh, for this and that our responsibility for, uh, you know, for this, you know, touches on our, our love and responsibility for other people, right? If, if that's the starting point of the conversation, that's a very different starting point than if we're starting saying, should government be involved or not? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, we might need to get to some of those kinds of questions, but it opens up the imagination, right? That we're motivated by love and by faith, as opposed to being motivated by fear and by, you know, by, by kind of hegemonic threat <laughs> or, yeah. or, or something like this, that there's some kind of force that's going to come in, whether it's an environmental force that's going to come and, you know, the apocalypse is going to come or whether it's government that's going to come in and, you know, take away my, you know, my freedom somehow. It, we're starting in a very different different place. And the imagination begins to open up, you know, at that place about what, you know, sorts of solutions there might be, right? Things that are maybe more market-based solutions as opposed to, you know, government, you know, based solutions. Um, you know, what are the, what is the role of nonprofits and of, of volunteer organizations and churches, right? Um, that, the, the thing that the environmental movement in some ways, and I'm painting with a very broad brush here to say this, but got wrong, you know, for, for decades was leaving religion behind and, and constantly blaming religion for the problem, right? Saying, mm -hmm. well, it's these kind of antiquated notions of dominion, right? That dominion means that I can do whatever I want with the environment. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I, you know, I'm a religious person. That's not what I believe, right? That yeah. I, I see it very differently, right? That I see dominion is, you know, it's related to this, you know, the word for, for lordship, right? It's a stewardship, you know, that that's given, you know, to me. So, you know, so why have you kind of excluded these perspectives? Because it's precisely religion um, that, um, that's, that deals with our morals and our sense of what's right and wrong. And we need that kind of motivation to motivate our action. Um, not 
the, the you know fear of of this that or the other. So I, I think if we recalibrate the discussion a little bit and we understand those common principles that you know that you know that we we hold together, suddenly new opportunities and options begin to open themselves up to us and and we make a lot more progress on on the issue and and not by compulsion not by force not by needing to you know to necessarily twist arms uh to make it happen i think that it's this it's it is an issue that we can really come together on if it's done the right way yeah it's a it's a um you know our doctrine teaches that it it's not about binaries right there's not simply heaven and hell. There's not simply um, this uh, this idea that there there is a right and a wrong, but the way that we exist in the world doesn't necessarily uh, mark up that way, right? And that there's there's multiple kingdoms <laughs> of of living and ways of being. And I think that the same can kind of get into our uh, our cultural or political sen- sensibilities as well, right? It's like it's Republican or Democrat, it's high end, you know, super high rise residential, or it's single family home on big fat lot, or it's big government solution or libertarian. We're just somewhat anarchist going away and everybody doing their own thing, right? There's so many things along the spectrum and so many ways that we can all contribute to it. So to kind of give well, I think we should probably talk a little bit more about the practical solutions to the to to the individual that you were going at from in a little bit, I, I imagine we'll talk about one of our initiatives that we're doing right now with LDS or stewardship to, uh, that involves talking about climate change. But to, to speak to you um, specifically, Kurt, and you, you said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of more conservative Republican. I'm open to discussions about these things, but I, I also just don't, I don't, I don't generally just lean right away to a big government solution. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some, for example, this in the Wasatch front, we've got, water issues, right? Um, we Not only do we have water use issues, we also have water issues within it getting to the Great Salt Lake and shepherding water rights, very complex. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Weber Basin, the Weber Basin Water Conservancy District and in others, um, they have plenty of market-based solutions to the problem that ha- were at an individual level. They did a little experiment where they just went around in 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 Utah, we don't measure what's called secondary water. So everything outside your house uh, is, which is potable indoor water. So things that you use in your landscape for agriculture, for um, all things outdoors that we call that secondary water. It's not metered uh, officially in Utah. Hmm. And that means that basically any secondary holding that you have, you can kind of use at your discretion. When what they realized was that, man, maybe we just need to kind of get a little bit more accountability. Like we won't start charging people more or anything like that. We'll just put a meter on. Let's just, it's just so people know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And this is very market oriented people, right? So they do that and they have a sample of homes in the Weber Basin that just put meters on their home. That's literally all they did. And their usage went down by incredible amounts. Uh-huh. Just just from simply putting a meter on the home, not even starting to charge more, not even starting to do incentivization with markets. And I mean, if you're an individualistic, very kind of let the market decide for itself kind of person, I don't, I don't know how something like that couldn't really feel like you're doing making an impact, right? These, yeah, sure. There's examples like this all around in Great Salt Lake and in other parts of the world. But it's also what I guess what I'm trying to say there is that 
any and everything that we can do is needed. And we need all sorts of ideas to solve great issues, but also just to make living um, more enjoyable in, in our towns and our cities and our neighborhoods. Just everything that we do and, and that generally kind of a, feeds into these large scale issues is really just a, an amalgamation of small, tiny decisions that we all make in our households every day. Right. So I yeah. guess I don't know. That's maybe a long winded way of saying that I I don't subscribe to that idea that you're putting forth, that nobody, um, that there's anybody that can't do something about it. Right. And, and that, that can't also um, fit well with whatever their political, religious, business, personal sensibilities are. Yeah. Yeah. And so it sounds like, I mean, with this, with the LDS Earth Stewardship nonprofit, I mean, the, the, the agenda there is mainly just, we just want to have a create a dialogue to, to start talking about ideas and make sure that we as a, as Latter-day Saints, at least are sitting at the tables where these are being, the solutions are being discussed and whatnot. Is that a good way to summarize it? Yeah. And using our faith to make the argument, right? That we're, yeah. we're engaged yeah. in these things, not despite the fact that we're Latter-day Saints, but because we're Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So in, in a long, in that vein, like, uh, I mean, what 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 is there to learn as far as like there are certain maybe doctrines or traditions or concepts um, that make it more difficult to maybe get your message across or have the dialogue about it? You know, for example, you know, obviously we we have a strong belief in uh, in multiplying and replenishing Earth, and that usually gets interpretative of you know where you have lots of kids, more of the kids the better. And there's been, uh, if I remember right, there's been various talks and statements made by general authorities in this concept of like of, of disputing the overpopulation concerns or, or whatnot. Um, is that a concern? And then what are other concerns are there just in our tradition that make your mission a little more difficult? I, I don't think, you know, the, the question of population, you know, that there was a, a book that came out in the seventies that, that, you know, awoke quite a bit of alarm, not just among Latter-day Saints, but among, you know, other people that was, you know, about the population bomb, right? That there was going to mm-hmm. be, um, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, shortage of resources and all out war on, you know, all against all. And, and most demographers don't uh, actually believe in that, you know, anymore. And, and we certainly as an organization, mm-hmm. you know, support the teachings of the church about our, our God given right and, and ability to make these kinds of choices, um, you know, responsibly, uh, you know, with our spouses and, and with the, the aid of the spirit. Um, I think, you know, Doctrine and Covenants 104 puts it really well, right, where it says that there is enough in despair, right, that there is enough in despair. And that's an important principle, but you've got to take the other part of the scripture with it. And that is if things are done in the Lord's way, right, which that, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the uh, poor are exalted and the rich made low, right, that there's this argument that you've got to learn to, to share things. Um, you know, he doesn't tell us how we're going to do that. Um, you know, law of consecration is a very specific way, which we're not asked to live right now, but we're still under the, uh, the injunction to be good stewards, um, you know, with this. I think that one of the, the biggest challenges that, uh, that we face culturally speaking, uh, and again, I, I emphasize it's not, there's nothing doctrinal, you know, kind of in, in the way we have, you know, some of the most amazing, you know, doctrine, um, for Christian denomination that I know of. Um, it, it is, it is rich. It is, um, you know, it goes way back to the, you know, the beginning of our, uh, you know, of the restoration and, and farther back than that, it helps us to understand, you know, ancient scripture in unique ways that, you know, that this is our, this is our legacy. And one of the things we bring to the table, 
But one of the the cultural things that that we also bring to the table um, is the you know kind of the political legacy of the Intermountain West. And Kurt, I think you articulated it really, really well. That there is um, you know this idea that you know the government has no you know has no kind of role in in telling me how to you know how to live my life and what I do on my farm or my ranch or my you know mm. in my my kingdom. You know that that's. Um, and, uh, and I think that, you know, again, if, if we don't kind of think about what that means and we kind of, uh, fall into that, um, without any kind of reflection, um, I mean, it's, it's problematic on a few levels, right? If we're extreme in that kind of uh, vision, well, then what are we doing to help the poor? If it's all about me, um, mm. you know, if I'm not ever doing anything to help, you know, someone outside of, of myself, that's a real problem. Now, I, I'm not kind of accusing, you know, the, you know, us, us as a culture is that having that as a problem. I think that we've, um, uh, you know, that, well, I should say it, it's maybe we do have some problems with that in that there are poor among us still, but, but I think we think about that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think that we need to kind of stretch our, our imagination a little bit to understand the way that we're connected to each other. Um, and that private property is, you know, is an important part of the way our society is, you know, is set up. Um, but that, that I have to be willing to kind of share the resources I've been blessed with. That seems like one of the, you know, the things I have to balance, um, you know, being, being a Christian and being a Latter-day Saint. Um, again, I think that if we automatically jump to, well, the only solutions are government intervention and compulsion uh, of people. If I always um, am kind of lured into the lie that it's either the spotted owl or it's, you know, it's the, you know, the, um, the lumberjack, um, well, then we're, we're always going to see it as a head on, you know, kind of a conflict, um, yeah. choosing one or the other. And, and that's the problem. That's not true, right? It's not one or the other. And so often, um, you know, we, we, we simply need to go back to the basics and understand, well, what, what are our core values? Let's start there and let's build out from there to try to avoid some of these blind, uh, these blind ends, these dead ends that, you know, um, you know, that lead us to these kinds of impasses, uh, that this is, this is the richness of our, of our belief in our doctrine. Awesome. And Phil, anything to add there? No, I think that's, <clears throat> okay. that's wonderful. Cool. Awesome. Well, talk to me just about being a Latter-day Saint as I wake up in the morning and go to bed at night, like day to day. I mean, generally speaking, I don't, I'm, you know, even, even the most staunch environmentalist could probably follow me around and probably not have a lot of issue with how I use resources or, you know, I'm not indulging in any way, I don't think. And, but what are just some, as a Latter-day Saint in the, in the typical life that we live, uh, what are some things to consider as far as what we can do day to day? Um, and is it come down to just these, the, the little things of whether I recycle or not, or how I use water, or should we, uh, be more, engage in other areas? What, what comes to mind? You know, I, I would refer back to that most recent talk that Bishop Cosset gave, right? He says, uh, I've got it in front of me here. I love the quote that he says, yeah. there are many things we can do collectively and individually to be good stewards. Considering our individual circumstances, each of us can use the bountiful resources of the earth, the earth more reverently and prudently. We can support community efforts to care for the earth, we can adopt personal lifestyles and behaviors that respect God's creations to make our own living spaces tidier, more beautiful, more inspirational. Um, he goes on to say we can be engaged in 
if we're a scientist to make the greatest scientific advances that help the planet, we can be an architect who makes beautiful spaces that are sustainable. There's all sorts of ways you can do it. And I think it, it can also just be, you know, as a Latter-day Saint, um, they there have been some examples that we heard about recently at our, our board meeting of uh, members who were aware that there were certain wards in the church that had come up with eco columns. Oh, people, yeah. <laughs> who, people who were just simply saying they were managing the, the stewardship of the local wards. So, you know, something like events when they were putting on parties, ward parties or other events, just making sure that it was low waste or, you know, that they're, they were making sure that there wasn't overuse or overconsumption. People who manage facilities, you know, there's uh, all sorts of ways we can cut down on those things. Uh, recycling and composting it, at, at church buildings. Um, if you want to go into something that's more specific to kind of a congregational um, way of living. But, you know, it can also be just simple things that people want to be together. So, for example, we, Elders Quorum, every year my Elders Quorum does service projects, right? And a lot of it is going and cleaning up people's yards, helping el- elderly members of the ward um, with, uh, you know, fall cleanup and and other sorts of things. And, and brought up the question, I said, could our Elders Quorum go and do like a river cleanup? one day if we wanted to, you know, just because mm-hmm. Logan river needs it. We've got all sorts of junk that pile up and don't want it going into our water. So um, can we do that? And they're like, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's one of those things where sometimes we just are not imaginative because we're so used to doing certain habits. Um, you know, walking, if you live in a walkable neighborhood, walk into church uh, or bike into work, you know, it saves you money. Gas is, mm-hmm quite expensive these days, isn't it? Um, (laughs) Little things. But it it can also go to the greater spectrum too, because some people are politically involved and politically active. In fact, Utah is known as a very civically engaged state. Um, So, you know, I, I would say that if people are passionate about the right thing, they can go and be a part of it. Yeah. Chip, anything you'd add to that? Well, I just, I like how, you know, Phil is talking about this. This operates on two levels, right? And, um, you know, the the actions of the individual, you know, are, you know, you, you could make the argument that, you know, it you know, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't make that much difference whether you walk to church or you drive your car. You know, I mean, that the amount of, you know, of output, it's, that's not going to tip the balance one way or the other. Of course, collectively, that does begin, you know, to make an, mm-hmm. an impact. But even on the individual level, um, I, you know, I think about Doctrine and Covenants, you know, 59, that you know, that talks about that the, um, you know, that these things are given to us, you know, to please the eye and to gladden the heart, right? Gratitude for the gifts that are received, there's immediate, um, there's an immediate payback from that, that, that we are, we are happier, we are more at peace, uh, we, we live more peaceably when we are grateful. And, and so even if sometimes those small actions, you could make the argument that they don't really make that much difference, they do to, to you and, mm-hmm. and to those around you. And that's, that would be reason enough, you know, to do them. Some of these other issues, um, I, and in saying that, I, I don't mean to belittle some of the other, um, the, the importance of these other issues, which are enormous. Um, some of these issues we have time to work on and we can get better on. Others, um, there's an urgency. And, uh, and I think it's really important for us to, inf- you know, to, to learn to, and, and the church has made a statement of, about information literacy, you know, recently, because I think they recognize, you know, the, uh, the importance of this, but that we learn to get 
information from good and reliable sources about these issues <clears throat> so that we can uh, that we can make a contribution to you know to interventions whatever the appropriate intervention is um, if it's urgent um, it needs to be urgent and quick if we have more time on it well then we can you know there's more time to work on it um, but understanding and being able to to use discernment and differentiate, you know, you know, between those and understand, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the cost and benefits of, you know, of this or the other, um, we, that's on us, right? That the, you know, the, we don't need to be commanded in all things we're told that we need to um, be able to use our agency and, and our, you know, our, our moral agency to make choices based on our morals and what we believe is right. Um, and not simply, you know, rely on, on what someone is telling us to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe just going back to the LDS earth stewardship as an organization, uh, as an entity here, what, like, what is it that they, that, that you do? Are you doing conferences? Are you doing meetups? Are you doing, I mean, maybe articulate more as like what this actually looks like in, in practice. Yeah, all of the above. We do. Uh, we have regular um, monthly meetings um, as a you know that we learn through the pandemic that we don't actually have to be physically present with each other as much as we like to, and so we do uh, meetings over Zooms. We have uh, something called in the company of stewards where there's a discussion every month about a, you know a topic or a book. Um, uh, there are there are local book groups. There's local organizations. Uh, we have local organizations in Provo and in Salt Lake and uh, and uh, in Germany and in Scotland and in the Philippines and in uh, Ghana that um, that that organize activities kind of in those uh, in those places uh, so that people can get together and do service projects and things like this. We mentioned the Gospel Library that we have online. Uh, this is an important resource to kind of you know. Uh, uh, be there when people are asked to, for example, talk about Bishop Cosé's talk in a Elders Corner Relief Society meeting. That you know that there's those kind of resources that they go get good information, you know, about uh, these kinds of things. Um, and then w- there's uh, we do kind of special lectures and things like that. Usually have a fall forum, uh, sometimes even a, a spring kind of lecture. But one of the the really exciting things that we've been engaged in in the last few months. Um, uh, came about, uh, started uh, down at uh, BYU Provo, that there was going to be a couple of speakers coming to campus that every week we have either a forum or a devotional uh, talk in the Marriott Center where the campus gathers together to uh, to hear him. Uh, and a couple of our speakers, one was uh, uh, Paul Cox, who's a, a very prominent LDS um, uh, scientist and uh, an environmentalist, um, he uh, came in and gave a speech as well as uh, Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, who is a, um, a professor out of Texas Tech. Uh, she's the lead scientist for the Nature Conservancy, and uh, her specialty is uh, communication about science uh, and particularly about climate change. And one of the things that distinguishes Dr. Hayhoe is that uh, she is a committed Christian uh, and she's, you know, she's very um, forthright about that as an important part of her identity and that, uh, and, you know, kind of as, as I was suggesting before, you know, she is not, well, she let out with this actually at her, at her address that she's not uh, engaged in questions of climate, you know, despite the fact that she's a Christian, but actually because she's a Christian, that she really sees this as, is connected to her faith. Um, students knew that these two speakers were going to be coming and were excited about it. And so they started organizing uh, a campaign uh, that they labeled Why Talk. So like Why Talk, and it's talking about sustainability, stewardship, and the climate. And they started tracking conversations uh, that they were um, 
they were committed to, uh, to, to sponsoring, I guess you could say a million conversations about these issues, uh, starting at, you know, starting at BYU and kind of moving out into the world. Um, and this is something that Catherine Hayo talks a lot about, uh, about the way that we can come together on these issues. We need to talk to each other. We need to listen to each other and understand each other. Don't go into the conversation feeling like it's a conversation. I need to convince you, you know, of this piece of evidence or that piece of evidence, but I need to go into the conversation and you need to understand why I think this is important. And I need to listen to you about why you're concerned about this or what your feelings are you know, about this. And by doing that, that we come closer together and we start moving towards solutions to these kinds of issues. So they started this. And some really uh, creative uh, people here at the at the university, they put together an app that you can go in and you can trace your conversation. It, it puts it on a map and you can actually see a visualization you know, of these conversations going out into the world. So they've been doing this for a couple of months now, and they have over 43... A thousand conversations that have that have already happened, and uh, the challenge is that when you uh, have this conversation, that you leave the person uh, with the challenge to go have a conversation with someone else. So, Kurt, I have a challenge for you. Um, okay, <laughs> to talk to someone about climate change and you know what what you think about climate change, and then you can go to the you know the Y Talk app that you can yeah you can find and you can uh, you can upload your conversation there and and. Oh, nice. uh, get us towards a million. Nice. Very cool. I, I, I'll take your challenge. So for <laughs> sure. Uh, and Phil, what would you add as far as if someone wants to get involved uh, and, and where would they, where's a good starting point or what would that look like? Yeah. So um, if you, if you're interested in the Y talk initiative that Chip just said, that's actually housed in BYU's website. So it's sustainability.byu.edu. Okay. Uh, the backslash is climate dash conversations. Okay. Um, you, that's for the Y talk campaign. Um, and highly encourage anyone to go and, uh, look at that and just see what's happening. Um, if you want to be involved in the organization, it's LDS earth stewardship.org. So just LDS earth stewardship. You just put that all as one word. And, um, what we have on the website is lots of different ways that people can be involved. They can utilize our gospel resources library that, uh, we've mentioned a couple of times here, you know, Great for if you want to prepare a lesson um, or a talk that may have some of these elements baked into it. Um, it. We also have actually a lesson plan that we've put on there in case people wanted to integrate it into a conversation about uh, Bishop Cosse's talk, because um, that's typical that we uh, once a month, usually there's a conference talk talked about. Um, mm-hmm. There's also getting involved in local groups. If there's one in their area, there's lots of things going on um, like Chip mentioned we've got groups, several groups here in Utah and the Wasatch Front. We've got a group in the San Francisco Bay Area, one in the New York City area, one that's forming soonish in Toronto, one that's in the DC area, one that's in Ghana, one that's in Germany, one that is in UK, based up in Scotland, one that is in the Philippines. Wow. Um, we so saints around the world can hopefully get involved in some way. And then also you can be involved remotely. So you can tune in to in the company of stewards. It's a monthly um, conversation that people have on webinars. There's the book groups. There uh, is also starting a local group. If people have that, um, that desire to just organize some members of their ward and or an interfaith group of some sort in their area, um, they can start that. Also, um, you can serve the organization in 
ways that don't involve um, so much lift, whether it's just giving some of your time to, you know, help uh, push out some social media things, or if you're a web designer, or if you're a, a writer, or if you just want, we're also hoping that we can get people writing little guest blog posts in this upcoming year um, that are just talking about their experiences, Latter-day Saint, who cares for the earth. Um, anyway, so there's all, yeah, all sorts of ways that you can get involved. Also, if you don't feel inclined to be doing all of those things, you've got too much going on in life, but you want to give, um, you can do that too. We're an organization that helps redirect those monies, um, either towards, um, our bigger efforts like why talk, but also towards local groups. We actually are support and do capacity building for local groups and are hopefully going to be doing more uh, campus capacity building because we've seen this as a really, really important thing for young members of the church, people who are you know, involved in institute or or um, on the church-sponsored campuses. So um, lots and lots of ways. LDSRC.org yeah. is the place that you can go there. Um, nice. And like I said, learning resources, things to act, things to join in. Just a few things. That's great. Yeah, just a few awesome. things. I, yeah. I, I could go on. I mean, we could I bet, I bet. <laughs> um, and, That's you know, so I'll just cite some of the things that people have been involved in just to, yeah. to give you an example. You know, we had, for example, uh, two, I believe it's two months ago now, and in the company of stewards where we've had people ranging from those who are total environmentalists. They've been in the national parks and they've been a steward over uh Southern Utah landscapes for 45 years, ranging to somebody who is not an environmentalist in the least. They just really love biking everywhere. And they wanted to tell us why Latter-day Saints should consider multimodal transit as a way of uh, being a good steward. And we've got it all over. People talking about their composting. And we've got local groups doing things such as our Earth Stewardship East group, um, which has a a wonderful active contingency over there doing all sorts of things uh, that are directly service related. So they, they were able to organize and uh, get some additional grant monies besides our uh, organizational support to build a native plant garden in a, in a damaged landscape that is also a historical um, a cultural landscape and a beautiful, beautiful garden that is now kind of, really coming into itself. It's been a few years now that it's been installed and that changed some people's lives. There were people that they didn't know how to plant a plant when they first started it. And now they are, they are, you know, native and or ecologically functional plant <laughs> yeah. experts. They're master gardeners. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's never. Well, uh, and the other great thing about that particular project too, is it was an interfaith project um, that was building this garden around a historically uh, black church. And it built some really important bridges in that community, um, you know, between, you know, uh, Latter-day Saints and, uh, and some of the members of these other local congregations um, that, uh, that was really inspiring to see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely one of my favorite things about the environment is that just naturally has this way of, of bringing us together as people, uniting us and then turning us to God, you know, because yeah. you can't help but notice God in the environment. And so that's awesome. It can't um, not. And I mean, if I were still in California, I would, it's also a way to have fun, by the way. Yeah, right. You know, like I would probably have a local group and we do, you know, once a month Saturday beach cleanups and go for a surf after. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, there's, 
tons of ways we could just take joy in it too. It doesn't have to be all serious environmentalists. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're all experts here work. It can, you don't, you really don't have to have all of the things. Yeah. You know? Um, the last area I, I want to ask that, uh, I want to make sure we cover is just your organization's connection or relation to the, the, to the church as a, as an organization. I, I don't, I'm sure some people might think, oh, they're, you know, out there pushing the church to take this position or that position or protesting or whatever. But how would you, how would you describe how you uh, engage with the church or your relationship with the church as an organization? We, we see as our role to, uh, to amplify the message coming from the church on, you know, on these issues and to, mm-hmm. you know, to educate, you know, the, you know, fellow saints on, you know, on the doctrines that have been, been preached that if the church is interested in, you know, in our advice and take on, on things, we're, we're happy to provide it, but that's, um, uh, it is not our job to, you know, to tell the leaders of the church how to, you know, to run the church um, at all. Um, that it's it's more, uh, you know, to amplify what the church says and what the church does. You know, Phil mentioned that, that, you know, the, the church does way more than most of us are aware about, um, you know, being careful uh, stewards of the resources that, you know, that we've been blessed with as an organization. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that there's lots of great stories there that, that still need to be told. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm sure you wouldn't mind a few more conference talks around this topic, right? <laughs> we welcome them. Yep. Yeah. We always welcome those. Always awesome. welcome those. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, we'll post all those links uh, that, that Phil mentioned in, in the show notes. And obviously people can go to ldsearthstewardship.org to to jump in and see all, all the details. Uh, maybe it's just a, as a closing question here. Um, and Phil, let's start with you. Then, then Chip, you can answer. Like, just tell us from your spiritual place, uh, what, is, what does the environment mean to you and how does it uh, bring you closer to Jesus Christ? Mm, yeah, that's such a good question. It's hard, hard to uh, give a nice, succinct answer. But for me, um, you know, I'm a coastal child, so that's that's kind of my my uh, interlocutor, my little context I come from, and um, I can't help but think every time I jump into the water, into the ocean, to go for a paddle out, or to go for a swim, or just to watch the waves crash in, um, the vastness that I'm looking out over, the fact that over the millions, billions of things that make up a part of that ocean system. And then the landscape that feeds into it. Um, they're all numbered. They're all loved. And I'm part of that. It makes me feel both, uh, infinitely small, but infinitely significant at the same time. And I can't help, but really feel comforted by that and really feel that it's a responsibility uh, that I have to keep that fire alive within me and to share that with others. Um, To be able to know that all the things that give me the most joy uh, in life were created for that purpose. (laughs) Um, And that I should make sure that I fulfill the responsibility that comes along with having that joy. Love it. Chip, what about you? What, uh, what does environment mean to you from a spiritual standpoint and how does it bring you closer to Jesus Christ? Yeah, I, I, I love the way that, you know, that Phil put it. I had an experience as a, um, as a young man 
um, that you know has 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 been echoed in other you know kinds of experiences, but was distilled in in, in a particularly poignant way when when I was about twelve years old. I, I mentioned I was from the Midwest, but uh, my mom's family uh, lived out here in Utah, and my uncle and my grandpa something possessed them. I don't know why to invite me on a uh, on a backpacking trip uh, up through Yellowstone. And it was, um, you know, my, my family growing up, um, we weren't particularly outdoorsy kind of people, you know, we like going on walks and stuff like that, but, you know, we lived in the suburbs and, um, you know, here I, I come out to this, you know, this landscape of the West that is on a, on a scale that's, you know, kind of difficult for my, you know, kind of young, young mind to kind of really wrap its head around. And, um, we, you know, we get up there in, in Yellowstone and, and kind of like Phil is saying, it's the, it's the, it was the grandeur of that amazingly beautiful place, um, that, um, that made me feel so small in, in so many ways. And yet, um, uh, like he's saying, so loved too, like, you know, that, you know, that this is here, you know, for, for me to be able to take, um, you know, take part in. And, and I think that it was significant too, that it was my family, um, you know, that introduced this to me, you know, that it was a place that, you know, where we could, you know, could kind of come together. And it's, you know, it's continued to be that uh, these, you know, these places that, you know, where we live, where we can, can get out and step outside of the, you know, the flow of our daily routine, and remind ourselves about what's most important. And I feel the spirit in, in unique ways when I, when I slow down, and I'm reminded of, of all of these amazing gifts. And the way that I'm connected to everything, um, you know, that that connection is, you know, on the first level, it's a, you know, kind of a biological chemical connection to everything, right? That my body is made up of the same elements of what I see around me. And I, you know, I eat and take these things into myself, but, but that's kind of a metaphor for the spiritual connection, you know, too, that I feel that the, you know, the people that, um, you know, that who live with me in my house, my family, I'm connected with my neighborhood, I'm, I'm connected with, right. And I need to be reminded of the ways that, you know, that we're connected. And, um, and then I'm connected to, you know, to brothers and sisters that I've never seen before, um, some of whom are suffering, right? And uh, and that their sorrow and their joy are my sorrow and my joy. And um, and I'm I'm thankful for you know for these amazing gifts that I'm I'm given uh, to be able to to be reminded of of these responsibilities and, and ultimately the love that um, that my Savior has you know for me that that provided them all in all their grandeur. 